Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello, and welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions on getting the gifts you want at a baby shower, saying thanks for a thank you gift, what to do with too many bridal shower offers, and how to handle the age-old question about age. Plus, your most excellent feedback, some of which comes from Pooja Senning, an etiquette salute, and a postscript segment from Emily Post's How to Behave Though a Debutante. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post Senning. Okay, so I know it's been a week, but this is the follow-up after your big Super Bowl party. And I'm I know so it sorry your team lost. Feels like a week ago, but I have to be present with the loss, and I have to be a good and gracious <laughs> loser and congratulate the Eagles and Eagles fans everywhere on a, a well-fought and well-earned victory. So Dan came into the office uh, Monday morning after the Super Bowl and was like talking about how to be a gracious loser and how it's really important and all this stuff. And I'm going, did I miss something? thing did Brady pout did like Belichick say something nasty like did someone like did Gronk do something like did someone just not like play it and he goes no I'm talking about me <laughs> I need the reminders I need to be explicit with myself about the expectations that there is something truly foul about a team that has experienced such success than being sort of not good about the losses. I love how you talk about the team, but you're really referring to yourself. I like the like mix of like self and team and self and team. I try not to bring it onto this show too too much, but I'm I'm a big fan. I I, really? I enjoy supporting the Patriots and I enjoy the social environment that okay. I get to have around supporting that team. So let's get to that. How did the party go? I mean y'all had planned, you had communicated about the kids, you did everything we say to do in the book. What how'd it go? The party was awesome. Nice. We didn't barbecue, it ended up being a chili. We decided that would be easier. <laughs> Totally. The, the party went off without a hitch except for the outcome of the game. Ah, uh, yeah. And that made it so much easier. And I'll, I'll give a little kudos to my fellow Super Bowl party attendees that they all, as they filed out and gathered up their coolers and their leftovers and their children, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Oh, bummer of a game, but such a good season. And that made it a whole lot easier as the night was winding down. Awesome. We have a show to get to. We do. Shall I get over this and we'll get to some questions? I think we shall. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Did you know that our listeners can also now text message us at 858 858- Five four six three. Only because I saw you discover this feature and get so excited about it. And thank you for so, reminding me and everyone. That's like legit. You can leave us a voicemail or text us at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question today is titled, These Gifts, Please. Hi, Awesome Etiquette team. I want to start off by saying thank you for giving us each the opportunity to participate in memberships for your show. Well, well, that, that is a nice sentence to read. It's a great way to feel like we are contributing to this awesome podcast that you produce. And I love your fork theme. Oh, wonderful. That was Lizzie Post's idea. <laughs> so our different levels of participation are broken down into different types of forks. Oyster fork, yes. salad fork, dinner fork. Yes, and we have dessert fork. We have correct. To the spelling on dessert fork. Oh my goodness. But thank you so much for participating in our membership, in our sustaining membership um, program. No matter what your level of participation, you get access to extra content for the show and an ads free version of the show. So thank you so much for participating. We should probably get to our listeners' question, though. Well, I, mean, I think we should just, give the website, the first, having talked about it. I was going to say, oh, give the website. Yes, but Dan, what is it? Awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com is the perfect place to find out more. Nice. And Tracy, thank you so much. This is the first time someone's mentioned it in, the, in their start of a question. Tracy's question continues, I have a kind of variation on a question that hasn't exactly been asked in the past. I am currently pregnant with my first baby. Congratulations. And my sister has generously offered to throw me a baby shower. I've been to so many showers and thrown showers where 80% of the guests do not buy items off the registry and seem to just go to a baby store and pick out a few outfits. The mom then doesn't actually get most of the gear that she needs, but she has a random assortment of clothing. I totally get that it's very fun to shop for babies, and I myself like to purchase outfits when I go to showers along with a gift card or something like that. The thing is, I'm a first-time mom, have hardly anything of necessity, and already have a fairly robust wardrobe from hand-me-downs and items that I've been collecting for my baby. Instead of the question about asking what needs to be kept versus returned— Is there a way to preemptively warn guests that you would not like clothing, but rather practical items? I know that it's rude to dictate what kind of gifts you would like, but as the entire point of a baby shower is to shower the new mom with gifts, I'm wondering if it might be acceptable to put some type of phrase or saying on the invitation itself. I'm hoping to put something like this on our registry as well. Please let me know what you think of this wording for invitation versus registry, and if you think it's okay to put any at all on the invitation. Many, many thanks, Tracy. Tracy, first, congratulations on the new arrival, the coming arrival. <laughs> it's a very exciting time, and your mind is obviously in a celebratory and practical place. Yes. And that is perfectly okay. And I, I like the way that you're thinking ahead here. I like the way that you're trying to balance both your desires, wishes, and hopes with how things might appear. And from a purely etiquette perspective, this is one of those places where you can offer some direction. In fact, guests are going to be appreciative of you offering some direction for all of the considerations that are running through your mind as you think about the coming shower. I think the perfect person to have help you do this is your host. And there are a couple different ways that your shower host can help guests and help them shower you appropriately. Theme showers are definitely something that happen these days. It's one way to start to point guests in the right direction. That registry that you mentioned is another great place to start to develop and and build that expectation. And you're right to mention and point out that not everybody will use that registry. In fact, probably a lot of people won't. And while 
that might be the case. It's also true that it's there to help. It's there to help the ones who are going to take some direction, are going to appreciate it. And even if people don't buy things off the registry, it might help give them some idea of what you're thinking about, what your wishes, hopes, and desires are as they think about how they best want to shower Well, even shower just so you. you can see things like color combos and, and things like that. You know, you can garner that information off a registry pretty easily. I think, though, that themes are really going to be Tracy's best bet at making sure that she gets the type of gifts that she would like. Because if you have a theme that's, let's say, books, you're not going to get people showing up with clothing. Or they might do a book and some clothing. If the theme of the shower is gadgets and gear, that might be one that really gets you to those practical items. And what I would do is avoid putting any not this language Yay. on anything. Yeah. Is that the idea here isn't to say not clothing. The idea here is to say we're going to focus on, you know, um, what did we say? Gadgets and gadgets and gears are great. Gear, one. Gadgets and gear. Um, gadgets and gear. Learning toys. Yeah, exactly. Learning toys might be another type of theme. Let's say that you're one of those people who has very small groups of friends in different parts of your life. You might have a shower with three or four people that is a bath time shower and it's all the bath time stuff. It might be a feeding shower and it's things like the breast pump and the bottles and that little um, it looks like grass drying rack that everyone has with the green things on it, you know, and you so you might start organizing it that way. But talking with your host, making sure your host is on board and able to communicate that via the invitation well you would go with the theme again do not put no clothing do not put you know no books or no toys on this type of invitation but you can put the theme of the shower and then your guests and your host can communicate during the RSBP about what exactly is expected and some items that may have already been chosen this is the other thing is that registries yep. they used to be something that was kept at a store now we do the online registry thing i would suggest having separate registries for the separate parties if that makes sense because if you go through and do one big registry that does have the clothing and the books and the other stuff and you send that link to everyone for your gear and gadgets party, you're going to have, I think, some mixed messaging going on. Well, and you mentioned that the back and forth that starts to happen after yes. the RSVP. Showers tend to be smaller gatherings, intimate gatherings, close friends and family. It's a perfect time to have some discussions that your host can also follow up on that registry and invitation information. In a very natural way as part of the conversations that follow as people are figuring out how they're going to attend and, and doing that exchange that often happens between hosts and guests. While I like the idea of directing a registry to being exactly what you want, if you, as we mentioned, if you have just that one large registry, even if you have different themed parties, it could be really confusing. So be careful with that registry. Um, it's also okay for your host to mention things like, you know, Tracy's really all set on baby clothing. So we're trying to gear people more towards books and games or this or whatever it is that you want to then gear them towards. But it's, it is okay for your host to mention what you're all set on at this point. A final etiquette reminder. Yes. <laughs> all your best efforts aside, I'm sure there will be lots of adorably cute outfits that will be delivered at the shower and a gracious warm thank you smile and appreciation for everything that everyone brings as a little preparation thought is going to really help you get through the shower as a gracious and glorious guest of honor. Tracy, we hope this helps and we hope that you have wonderful showers that absolutely check off all the needs and also bring some wonderful surprises your way. Like everyone else, she thinks that her etiquette is perhaps not perfect, but good enough so that there are no glaring errors. Our next question is a classic. It's about <laughs> thanks for the thanks. To whom it may concern, should a thank you note be sent to someone who has given you a thank you gift? For instance, when you receive a hostess gift, should you respond with a thank you note, whether it be for a party or a visit with family for several days? I thank you for your answer. Sincerely, Donna. Donna, if the gift is given in person, then there's no need for the note. 
as the hostess receiving a thank you gift, you're able to thank. And Emily Post always said that that in-person thank you is the one that can be delivered with all of the wonderful emotion and expression and sentimentality that you could possibly muster. Human warmth. Human warmth. It was so great. Um, However, if the gift was sent after the visit, it's okay to send a little note or to reach out and get in touch just to let your guest know that their thank you gift has actually arrived and been received. And it is really kind to communicate that. Obviously, the best way to communicate that is a thank you note in return. And then that's it. The communication's over. They don't have to send you a note for the thank you note. Like, it doesn't keep going that way. But I would also say that just commonplace, we're often a a barometer for a social barometer for the U.S., a phone call or a text message or a quick email. Those are all really commonplace nowadays, at least to say the gift arrived. And then you can write that follow up note later that says, wow, we just can't believe how much we use this or love it or it's wonderful. And since a, a final etiquette thought seems to be developing as a, a theme already in this Go show, for that for the show, Let's I would leave you, keep you it up. <laughs> with a final etiquette thought that some gifts really do inspire a reply. And whatever the rule or social obligation that you're feeling is, if something really strikes you and you feel inspired to write someone a warm handwritten note thanking them for something, it was a particularly thoughtful house guest yeah. gift that they brought you. By all means, do so. <laughs> May I, please? Thank you. These are words of respect, words that make day-to-day living go smoothly. Man, this was a thank you note shower invitation kind of show today. Our next question is titled, Showering Me With Showers. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love your podcast and how upbeat you guys are. I'm getting married this year, and one of my friends told me she really wanted to host a shower for me and my fiancé a few days after we got engaged. I was a little worried because I know money is tight for her right now, and she has a lot going on in her life already. And I knew that my maid of honor was going to be hosting one for me anyway. I know some people have multiple showers hosted by different people, but I really don't want to put an unnecessary burden on my friend when my maid of honor is already going to host a shower for me. Is it polite to decline her offer to host a bridal shower? Sincerely, double showers, question marks? I'm loving this question because there's an etiquette concern. You don't want to be declining someone's generosity. At the same time, there is... Such a, a wonderful sentiment here that I want to acknowledge, which is the anti-bridezilla. Thank you. The person who is fighting against what we hear about from guests who are upset that they're invited to too many showers, yep. that they feel like it's being overdone. An idea of, of proceeding with a little bit of caution and awareness about yeah. what people already have planned I think shows um, really good common sense and care for guests. Absolutely. And hosts. So now what do you do in the moment, right? Oh, yeah, that's such a love. So first of all, love every idea for five minutes, right? You can absolutely validate that generosity that Dan is talking about. Oh, my gosh, that is so kind of you to offer to do that. So we haven't accepted anything yet. We just said it's so kind of you to offer. Now give yourself the time. Say something like, let me check just to see what we have going on for all of the pre-wedding parties, um, just so that I can kind of get a feel for the lay of the land before I say yes. But I want to thank you so much. That is such a generous offer. Because it is. You can just focus on the offer being generous. I'm feeling appreciated and heard sitting right here. Thank goodness. So then what do you do next? I know. So what do you do next? So then let's say that you you, you check everything and it's time to get back to someone. I think that it's really okay for you to say something like, I really appreciate your offer. I want to tell you how kind I thought it was. And it was so generous of you. However, I think we are all set on the shower front at this time. Um, That's really all you need then and there. It becomes that thing where you want to say more. Oh, because my this person and that person and that person, you can just simply say that you're all set on the shower front. I might consider, however, asking my maid of honor or the other folks who have offered to throw showers if they'd be willing to co-host the shower. So if you find that little bit of info out and someone is willing to co-host a shower, now you could return with a offer of, you know, we've actually got a number of 
people hosting. But I checked with my maid of honor and she would be really open to co-hosting. Would you would you feel comfortable co-hosting with her? And then your guest or your friend, excuse me, can absolutely decline that if she doesn't. And let's face it, co-hosting is not always fun. So it is okay for folks to decline wanting to co-host something, especially if your friend is dealing with a lot of things on her plate right now. Timing wise, it might be easier for her to host her own shower than co-host one. So it's just a thought. Maid of Honor might really need some help with decorations yeah. or games or you don't need to coordinate all that, but you can talk to Maid of Honor, say, would you like me to offer your number or exactly. put you two in touch, connect you with someone else who's expressed some interest in helping out? Now, the last thing I want to talk about with this question is something that Double Showers question marks did not actually um, ask. And that is actually about the the assumption on the person offering to host the shower about their budget and their time. And it is definitely worthwhile to be aware of friends who tend to um, not overreach, but kind of uh, overextend themselves and then get into trouble. Some of us know friends who do that. They say they want to host your birthday party and then it kind of all falls apart because they weren't really capable either financially or, you know, time-wise able to do it. And that can be really frustrating. I don't know what type of friend it is that's offering right now, whether this is someone who has that pattern or whether this is your own nerves. But I often suggest to folks not to let your own assumptions about someone else's budget and time get in the way of what it is that they're offering to do. We really do have to trust that people are adults and that they take care of their time and their schedule and their finances. And it's not our job to do that for them. So I would not make any mention if you decline on it being because you don't think she has the time or money to do this. I think that questioning that is something that um, isn't necessary. You can throw showers on a dime. I mean, you really can. There's a lot you can do to cut down the cost. There is nothing that says you have to have a full buffet of food. There's nothing that says champagne has to be a part of it. There's nothing that says you have to purchase decorations and games. There's a lot that can be done on a shoestring budget. But I think we have to be careful about assuming a host isn't capable. It's a good reminder. <laughs> My final etiquette yes. thought for the question. What have you got? Keep it running, cuz. <laughs> I would try to get this person an invitation to the shower. Whether they get invited to co-host or help out or not, I think that having expressed the desire to host a shower, that probably puts them in that close enough circle that if possible, and you don't have a, an infinite number of these, I would try to, to leverage my... my uh, Sway list? with the host <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> to get this person an invitation, if possible. To at least one of the showers that might be happening. And a final, final yeah. etiquette thought. Oh, I think we need to say <laughs> congratulations. Yes, congratulations. This is such a fun time. I love our next question because it is the age-old question. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I sent this question a while ago and never received a response. I figured maybe someone would ask this question eventually. However, I haven't heard this come up, so I'm going to write again. Thank goodness you did. I'm glad you did also. I distinctly remember when I was growing up being taught that it was rude to ask someone, particularly a woman, their age. Is this incorrect or at the very least out of fashion today? Ever since I moved to a new place over a couple years ago for my job, I feel like I've been getting the how old are you question a lot. I can understand that some people are curious and don't mean any offense. They do not sound rude or condescending when they ask. And I'm aware that I look a bit younger than I am, which prompts curiosity. However, I really dislike answering this question mostly because I feel it is rude that people even ask it in the first place. Am I rude to be evasive? It's not that I'm embarrassed of my age. It is more so a strong belief that the information is personal. Do you have some sample language for this type of situation? Everything I've tried sounds like I'm trying to be rude in my response, such as old enough, even when said with humor. Please help. P.S. I recently showed up to a work event hosted at the home of one of our board members. After politely introducing myself to someone with my name and professional job title, they exclaimed, Oh, I thought you were someone's daughter. See what I'm dealing with? Old enough? Question mark. Oh, the assumptions of others. How fun. Um, this age old question. I get it. Get it now. 
Sorry. All right. So this is one of these terribly odd ones because nowadays we just don't have as many stigmas around age as we used to. In fact, age is something we are trying to we we are trying to not be ageist. We are trying to not make it seem like getting older should be something you should hide or that there's any reason to hide or that anyone should be afraid of a number based on the date they were born. But it's really fascinating because we also have our listener here, old enough, who absolutely this is something a lot of people experience and they don't enjoy the experience of being asked how old they are. I remember asking my father, we did, I I remember when this question has been posed before, and I don't think you were the only one that's posed it, but I remember saying to my father, well, what's the big deal? He goes, because it's nobody's business. And it's really fascinating because there's so many things that we are willing to protect with the line, it's nobody's business. And it's nobody's business what your medical history is. It's nobody's business how you decide to give birth. It's nobody's business if you're going to get testing done on such and such. It's nobody's business why you eat the way you eat. We are very, very good at saying it's nobody's business in our world today. And yet this is one of those funny questions where it's nobody's business and yet it's become a perception that it is very innocent to ask this question. So why do you think people ask? I think people ask it because they're trying to place you in terms of themselves. They're trying to figure out if I make a a joke about Voltron, right? Like show growing up when I was a kid, are you going to get it? You know, are we Smurfs and Sesame Street or are we, you know, Howdy Doody and the Peanut Gallery? Are we, you know, Barney and Friends or are we Teletubbies? I don't know. And that's all like TV references, I understand. But A lot of the time people are trying to gain a reference. In our dating world, people set limits for themselves all the time. I'll only date people five years older or five years younger. I'll only date people 10 years older or 10 years younger. I won't date anyone over 35, 40, 50, 62. Name a number. We decide things based on our age a lot. We have ages that we reach that allow us to be able to do things legally in this country. So age is something that we're actually very comfortable asking and we are not as comfortable answering. It's a fascinating little etiquette spot to be in. As I hear you talk about it, yeah. all, all these different thoughts are coming to me. <laughs> As I ramble and ramble well, and ramble. No, one that, yeah. while it's true that I think people are comfortable asking it, that, that curiosity comes from how many judgments we make based on age. Yeah. I think the the hesitancy to share it comes from the exact same place. Yes. That because you don't so want to be judged by it. Judgments are made instantaneously, that it really does feel like an easy way to, to be labeled. Mm-hmm. And I love the the direction of this question that it can come either from feeling like you're going to be judged for being too young, too young or too old or. How about just the conversation that ensues afterwards? Our our question asker said that um, they look young for their age, right? I could be someone's daughter. And immediately, every time she then presents her age, someone's making an assumption and there's a conversation that then follows. And that's just like, how many times do you want to have that conversation? You know, like it, oh, it's annoying then, right? You're just, oh, I don't want to say it because now you're going to be surprised. And then, oh, yes, I'm not as, I'm, I'm older than I look. Isn't that wonderful? Lucky me. I've got skin from the fountain of youth. Like, boy, can you just hear how frustrating and boring that gets after a while? I can. And the, the, <laughs> The toughest part about this question for me is that the the answer that we've already defaulted away from, which is that what if I just can't say old enough without the good humor? Yeah. And th- th- that is so often the first answer. What that if it just doesn't work? Old enough. Yeah, ha, ha, ha but really. <laughs> old enough to know better. Young enough to know better. <laughs> old enough to forget my keys. Young enough to forget my keys. Sure. Old enough to enjoy every moment. <laughs> young enough to enjoy every moment. I, I-, I do think that... Having some good humor, deflecting, is the original etiquette answer. Mm -hmm. And that even as an aggregate, this question can be frustrating and annoying. Mm -hmm. It's important to remind yourself each time that it happens that each individual you're dealing with is just that individual. I also hear that awareness in this question. Our old enough asker says, you know, it it starts to feel like I'm being critical of them just with the tone that's creeping into my voice with my deflecting answer. I feel like I'm calling into question their behavior. And has the whole standard changed? And you're saying in some ways it kind of has. In some ways you've heard it. The question is coming. It happens. The traditional etiquette answer is that this is a rude question that you're not supposed to ask. And it's not a gendered etiquette. It's not a gendered courtesy. Anybody, woman or man. And I almost feel like it's a... 
a gendered um, error to think that you shouldn't ask this question to a woman, but it would be okay to ask it to a man. I would agree uh, with that wholeheartedly. I, I think that generally That's an speaking, inequality right there. <laughs> from my perspective, you wouldn't ask this question because it's too personal, yeah. because it's prying. If someone opens the door, if they are talking about their creaky knees and how old they're feeling, that maybe there are certain signs or indications yeah. that say, I'm okay having this conversation, I'm okay answering this question. Yeah. But if those indications haven't been offered, I think the good etiquette advice remains to this day that you don't ask this question. That you don't ask this question. So when when you are asked, your advice is to go with the old enough or young enough, but as long as you can keep that light and in tone and in a in a in a cheeky little nature, you know, right? That's my first instinct. Okay. My second answer is you can always if if it's not if you're not feeling cheeky, if you can't be light and you can't be not critical when you say it, you can say, I'm not comfortable sharing yeah. that. You can say, I I usually don't divulge that information. Yeah. I think you can just answer plainly that you'd rather not say. And that's the other option. You can be honest with sincerity. And but you do recognize that that's going to put a bit of like a, a double stop on the, not a double stop, but like a screeching halt on the conversation. It, it does have that effect. I think so. It's why yeah. I go with that sort of the the pleasant deflection first. Always the easier to go for. But if I really can't deliver it, then my number two is sort of a simple, clear, yeah. honest answer and then maybe go somewhere else with the conversation. But I do love talking about this nonprofit organization that I'm on the board of that we're all here to celebrate tonight. <laughs> and then you're off in that conversation. I don't answer that question, but I do answer this one. Give them the out <laughs> and right then forward. go there. Yeah. I'm a big fan too of just like, just just going with like confident eccentric of like I've decided to no longer reveal my age. It's a social experiment. And like just see, see you know, okay then. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I find people focus on it way too much and it's still not something that's really you know, a, a necessary fact for getting along and for, for interacting. You know, you can play it off like that if you're looking to have a different conversation from the, 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 the oh, you're so young, oh, we're so this, like, you know. Old enough, we hope that that, oh, nope, Dan's got another. He's ending it on his etiquette. Final etiquette thought. There you go. <laughs> Takeaway lesson, and I, I would keep this in my pocket, remind myself of it. Two rudes do not make a right. Bingo. Even if the question is rude, hold yourself accountable. Take the high road. You will feel better about yourself in the end. Why can't I act my age? That's what I'd like to know, Jim. Our final question for the day is called The Peaceful Commute. Our question begins, Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you so much for your wonderful podcast. I frequently find myself using your fabulous consideration, respect, and honesty framework anytime friends and family come with social queries or when I find myself wondering how to handle countless situations. To cut to the chase, I have no idea how to handle this situation, thus the email. Please help. I have a long commute via public transportation that can be anywhere from 40 minutes to one hour of total travel each way. I handle this long commute by reading books, which has become an enjoyable and peaceful part of my daily routine that I have grown to love. It helps me either prep my brain for the day of work ahead or ramp down after it. I have a coworker who lives close to my apartment slash train stop, and we both take the same public transportation route to the office. I often find myself bumping into him. I think he is a lovely person. However, he always wants to chat. I never see him with a book or headphones, so I believe that he may be bored on his commute and eager to chat. I see him frequently enough, once or twice a week, that I am now asking you for help on how to handle this. First, can I even try to escape the conversation to get back to my book, or is that rude and inconsiderate? I would be fine chatting on occasion, but this frequently for up to an hour is a bit stressful and burdensome, especially early in the morning or right after work, the two times where I'm not in the best place to casually chat with an acquaintance. Secondly, if I can escape, how? Once I start talking, it never stops. Should I move cars? That seems somehow ruder. Is there a way to have my personal space without causing offense? Sorry the question's a bit long, and thank you for everything you do. Your warmth and kindness comes through in the podcast, which always makes me stop and reflect upon my actions. Best, I haven't had my coffee yet. <laughs> 
oh, I, I'm so sympathetic <laughs> with this situation. It's almost like your workday is beginning an extra hour early. I know, and ending an extra hour late if she's got to be on the commute with this guy. It feels like a like a little minor nightmare to me. Also, I love my commute, my morning yes. commute when I listen to podcasts, when I take language lessons. It's just it's awesome. I used to use my commute, which is much shorter than Dan's commute, to, you know, call and catch up with a friend. And I fully admit that I've stopped doing that because I enjoy whatever it is I'm listening to on my way home as my decompression before I walk into the house that's going to have a whole number of things I need to deal with at it. I mean, the audiobooks You hear about a book that I you that. are looking forward to. All of a sudden you say, oh, I'm going to just devour that in little half hour, hour chunks. Yeah, it's, we get it. Okay, so. Yeah. I think you're okay getting back to your book. I think so too. Your podcast. Totally okay. I think okay. that you give someone the, the attention, the engagement. You say hello. You acknowledge your humanity but also <laughs> your connection, the fact that you work together, yeah. the fact that you see each other, the fact that you're acquaintances. And then you excuse yourself from the conversation and you can do that very politely. It doesn't need to be a big deal. I think that you start off with just the quick and the simple Hello, chit chat. Chit chat, chit chat. Good to see you. Oh, we da, take da, 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 this train da, da, da. together. Da, da. I've been listening to this great podcast. I can't wait to hear what happens next. Bang, done. You're you're out of there. <laughs> and I, I think that there's always room to expand that conversation if you need to. Yes. That if that's not working, if someone persists, if they don't take the little cues and they figure out ways to re-engage. You can always then expand into that longer – I so look forward to these commutes when I can disengage, read my favorite book, whatever it Oh my gosh. Be. That's the longer version of why you want to disengage. I thought you were saying for the days that you want to engage the conversation because one of the great things about our question asker – Also an option. Is that she's saying there are I, – I like I want to keep this in the acquaintance level of – you know, like I don't mind talking to him sometimes, just not every time. And that is a delicate balance and you should give – yourself the room to on the days where you can afford the conversation go for it so that and I'm just calling him Jim so that Jim you know knows that it's not like a oh when I see this person on the train I can't even look at her she really wants this time to herself you want that moment where it's okay to engage but then you'll it's really funny but people will get used to you being confident in directing your own behavior and theirs in a situation Jim will start to trust that you're going to tell him when the conversation is over and you might go the whole train ride talking to Jim one day and you might say, hey, you know, I'm really dying to tuck in. Like, I would love to, to chat another day on our commute or something like that. You're reminding me yeah. that it's oftentimes a, a a point of arrival in a friendship when you yes. can enjoy each other's company in silence, <laughs> when you start to recognize each other's cues. And there's actually something to, I think, what you're exploring, this idea that you start to teach each other what your cues are for I'm going to take this time and maybe your best commute buddy is the person who you can say hi to and then read the paper that you exactly. like to read every day. Exactly. And you can – it doesn't all have to be nonverbal cues. It's OK for the cue that, that Jim learns and listens for is for you saying I'm going to tuck into my book now or I'm going to, I'm going to do my reading now. Or the, you know, the cue comes the other direction when you ask Jim more about his day and that's him understanding you know, then that you can keep the conversation going. You're not trying to tuck into that book. But I have noticed that, like, Dan and I have our language about that. Dan plays podcasts while he goes and makes coffee in the morning. And, okay, that's a lie. Morning. Every two hours. <laughs> so often this is like a check-in point for the two of I knew something was really wrong when on a Friday in the evening there was the thing, the, the drip set up and every dance all set up and the coffee was still there and he had left for the day already. I was like, man, that was a crazy day. Dan didn't even drink the coffee. But no, sorry, aside, finished. Um, we have learned and you always kind of give me the check in and you shut off the podcast for half a second so that I can, you know, you see whether or not I'm coming in to talk to you or whether I'm just coming in to get make some tea or something like that. Um, and you kind of learn each other's habits because you are in this daily rotation, this daily commute with each other. Clearly, you've struck a nerve here. This is <laughs> well, this is a fun one. This is a fun one because yeah. it's also it's about a professional relationship. Yeah. And my final etiquette thought for this question is I really appreciate the way you're paying attention to your professional relationships yeah. that – it is it is true that we often get to choose how and when and where we interact with our friends with family we have those those bonds of kinship that connect us and sort of 
guide our behavior and our work relationships are often important. We often don't have the same amount of choice that we have. So I think taking a little care with how you interact with your colleagues and coworkers outside the office as well as inside is really worth your time. So good luck. We hope you continue to enjoy this commute and that you're able to get to your favorite books, podcasts, or whatever it may be. Well, well, if they can be friends, why maybe just about any person can be a friend. Can you think of other things you can do to make friends? Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates and comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message or send us a text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question on our show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm currently listening to episode number 174 and wanted to chime in on the airplane seats question. I love to travel, so I fly a few times a year. I've also got long legs, so when someone reclines their seat, it usually bumps into my knees or comes close, and it is so uncomfortable. I wish everyone was courteous enough to ask if they can recline. My personal feeling on the matter is that if there is someone sitting behind me, I don't recline my seat. Of course, if there's a small dog crate or small kid or another situation where it wouldn't impose on the person behind me, I may reconsider. But the space is small enough as is. It seems kind of impolite to recline your seat in most situations. Thanks for letting me rant and for the excellent podcast, Tessa. Thank you, Tessa. I I agree. (laughs) Is that I will do it in certain circumstances, but they're pretty gosh darn limited. Tessa, this is definitely (laughs) an etiquette that has evolved over the (laughs) years, particularly recently as the space in airplanes has gotten smaller and smaller. And I'm hearing more and more people echo sentiments very similar to the one that you're sharing here. I loved our next piece of feedback because, surprise, surprise, it comes from Pooja Senning. And I was like going through the voicemails. I said, wait a minute, I know that voice. You and Pooja entertained a question on the show, uh, episode 176, that was about apologies. And it was about person A, our question asker, having um, understood their own reason and need to apologize in a circumstance. But what happened is that that our question asker is very worried about the other person they're dealing with not issuing an apology for the larger uh, grievance or, or upset, you know, issue that they caused. So you have two people who owe apologies and one of them is very willing to say, I am sorry, but is very worried about the other person not saying it and how you could handle this. And you and Pooja answered the question. And then Pooja had a follow-up to add to it. We did answer this question. I was so wishing you were here for this one because it was such a great question. It's such a, a classic situation totally. where you made a mistake and then someone else has made a bigger mistake. And you <laughs> want to own your part of it, but you also want them to own their bigger part of it. And <laughs> our answer it. had really focused on giving the advice that you apologize for the thing that you felt badly about. Be responsible for yourself. Absolutely. And I think in listening to that answer, Pooja also wanted to make allowance for someone to own any hurt that they would feel for the other infraction, the other grievance that your smaller grievance had led to this other person (laughs) doing. So our, our answer had really focused on making an apology. And I think Pooja also wanted to make some room in our answer for you also owning the hurt or or anything that you felt from the mistake that the other person had made. And I was really glad that she called in because we listened to this show together and she had said, <laughs> I have some feedback for myself on this answer. And <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that she called and Let's felt good about it. giving it. Let's hear Pooja's feedback. Hello, it is Pooja Senning. And my comment is, thank you so much for letting me be on the show. And I listened to it, and I was happy about it. The only thing I would change would be to add in, in my response regarding the apology question, I would add in that the person can always let somebody else know how they feel uh, based on the other person's actions. So utilize the when you I felt 
um, statement to really own your own experience of that emotion. And um, I think that's a great way to also let the other person know what's going on with you in case they didn't. Um, and hopefully they would respond back and hopefully maybe with some time they'll apologize. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Pooch, thank you so much for doing the show and for issuing such an awesome etiquette follow-up. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates and comments. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or you can leave us a message or a text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Hey, it's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is straight out of How to Behave Though a Debutante. We're going to be taking a dip into this delightful novel that Emily wrote. And she writes it as though she is a fly on the wall of a New York socialite. For those of you that don't know, this book, How to Behave Though a Debutante, is one of the the great works in the Emily Post (laughs) canon. She is spoofing herself in this book. She's writing as if she was a young woman, the type of woman who usually she was giving advice to. And in this particular chapter, we're going to hear about hosting a ball. (laughs) The first object in ball giving is to make it go. And everyone knows that nothing will go that doesn't start from a table. Cabarets have certainly proved that, so it's obvious that those who want their dances to be successful should make them as much like cabarets as possible. I don't suppose it would do to have Broadway outsiders come as audiences for society in the way that society is audience for Broadway. But with a little talent developed among ourselves, we ought to be able to make everything gay and attractive without the need of professional help. At all events, instead of having supper in the dining room, it is ever so much more attractive to put tables around the ballroom and let people sit in groups of their own at each of the tables. In fact, it is really the only way to solve the question of what a girl is to do if she hasn't her own stag line, meaning at least two stags of her own who are faithfully parked, or else three or four who will cut in if she signals S.O.S., The stags all say that they hate the cutting-in system because, as one of them put it, they never can take more than three steps with the girl they long to dance with or less than 30,000 with the girl they asked as a duty. Of course, the partner problem does not bother our particular group much unless one of us gets stranded, where the others aren't asked. But usually, Sin, Kay, Mickey, Snooks, and Spriggy and I sit together everywhere, so we have our own crowd to come back to. Of course, there is a dance nearly every night in the first weeks of the season, but Mama says the really smart dances are getting smaller and smaller, which is just about the way the family has of saying, one thing and doing another. My coming out ball was the biggest of the year. Everybody was there who was asked, and of course, a good many crashed it. But the nicest sort of parties are those we give all by ourselves. Well read, Lizzie Post. I mean, really, Biff, can you just imagine? It's like, I mean, this book just cracks me up every time I pick it up. There's something else. She must have had so much fun writing it. So much fun writing it. But, you know, some version of, I think, what what she's talking about is eternal. It is funny. People do talk about things like trying to throw, like, oh, really big parties are so awful, except for when we throw them. You know what I mean? Like, that's the one that cracks me up. It's fashionable to have small gatherings, except for my debutante ball, which was the biggest ever known. Well, and she can't help herself. I I think she's actually starting to give some good advice in there. That the best balls are ones where people are having a good time. There's tables around and people are enjoying the conversation as well as the dancing. I mean, she, she really can't help herself. It cracked me up because here she's talking about, um, you know, Broadway doesn't come in audience for society, meaning you don't like stack your party with cabaret dancers so that the dancing is good. And that's exactly what this gal did at her wedding. She stacked it with like really great cabaret dancers. But I just love the idea that one sits in audience for the other, but the other doesn't sit in audience for the one. Like, you know, and it's like, oh, great grandmama. 
definitely, I think this book is something that we're going to have to return to. Oh my gosh, yes. It's just fun. It's such a fun look at the silliness of Emily's era. I just had a letter from my brother, and guess what? Mother said we can have a party for him, so I was wondering if you could come over tonight and help me plan it. This is one party that just has to turn out right. And on a not-so-silly but definitely high note, we like to turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. And that can come in so many forms. And for today's Etiquette Salute, we have Heartbroken But Not Friendless in Pennsylvania. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a longtime listener and have always enjoyed the Etiquette Salutes at the end of the show. And now I finally have one of my own. A few months ago, my boyfriend of just over a year broke up with me, leaving me heartbroken. His friends, who I had become very close with during the past year, had said they wanted to make sure we stayed in touch, and we have found a few times in all our busy schedules to get together since then. Recently, one of the friends had a bridal shower, which she invited me to. I accepted and attended the event, looking forward to celebrating her upcoming wedding. Unfortunately, during the event, feelings related to the breakup began to bubble up, and I had to excuse myself. I decided the best course of action would be for me to leave for the evening and chose to call a friend for a ride and to wait outside. While waiting, multiple friends popped their head to check I was okay and had a ride coming. Some did stay with me for a few minutes or offered words of support. I spoke with both the host of the shower and the bride-to-be the day after and apologized for leaving without saying goodbye, but explained I didn't want to ruin the festivities for everyone else. They were both so understanding about the situation and made sure to express that they were glad I came. I'm so grateful that throughout this whole process, from breakup to current times, they have been wonderful friends who have maintained what could be an awkward friendship with grace and love. A salute to them and all the love I can give. Heartbroken but not friendless in Pennsylvania. Oh, heartbroken but not friendless. First of all, my heart goes out to you as a fellow single gal. (laughs) But I also just say, this happens sometimes. I had this exact situation happen to me at a baby shower, and it was just exact same thing. I just couldn't hold it together, and I needed to excuse myself and be on my way, and I had to call and make apologies, and folks were so understanding. And it, you really are grateful in that moment for other people's just generosity and understanding. And I think you did everything you could have done in that moment heartbroken. And it is so wonderful that you have such a great support system around you right now. Sometimes it's when times are hard that we really get to see people at their best. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sending this in. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message or, as we learned today, a text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. You can help us out. Become a sustaining member of the Awesome Etiquette podcast by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com or subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Oh, man.